Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. I'm going to take off on what Chris has been talking about. I'm in. I'm ignited. I'm excited. We've talked about I'm invited. Last week we talked about how we're important, how each one of us are important cog in the work of God's church, how we're important to what happens here and what happens in God's kingdom. So today I want to jump off a little bit more than that and think I'm an influencer. Now if I were to ask you, are you do you consider yourself an influencer? Not many of you would raise your hand. Because we don't picture ourselves as being that powerful influence out in the world that makes a difference. In fact, no matter where you're at in life, you have the ability to influence people. A sociologist did a study and says even the most introverted person in the world, now you know somebody you can put that tag on, they're the person you talk to and they kind of hold their head down and they just kind of, if they could crawl under the carpet, they would do that. That person has the potential to influence 10,000 people in their lifetime. So there's a tremendous amount of power of influence that is placed in each one of our lives because I don't know too many of those people that consider themselves a total introvert. We look at life. And life's all about people and the ability to influence them. It says you're influential. You have a great influence on someone or something. The worldly view of it looks at it this way. An influencer is an individual who has the power to affect purchase decisions of others because of their authority, knowledge, and relationship with their audience. The world looks at influencing someone as how can I get you to pull out your wallet and get you to spend your nickel. That's how the world looks at influence. They've literally hijacked the word influencer. You know, you have people like George Soros, the billionaire who's out trying to mold the political world into his world system, who keeps funneling money to causes that cause a lot of disruption in the world. You have people on TV who, because of their position, are considered influential. Oprah Winfrey. She's been listed several times as one of the most influential women in America. You know, she talks as an authority on marriage, but she's never been married. She talks as an authority on parenting, but she's never had kids. She talks as an authority for Weight Watchers, but they never show her from the waist down. And people think she speaks as an authority. Real influencers aren't interested in selling you something or a philosophy. They're interested in you as a person. You know who they are in your life. As we think about people who have influenced us, you can go back and you can remember that coach or that school teacher or that neighbor or someone here at church who put their arm around you who said, this is the best way to do this, and they've got you focused in the right direction. 
And they made a positive influence on your life. You know, those of us who are Christians, we have people that we listen to that kind of mold our thinking. You know, you got Max Licatos and folks like that that we kind of pick up on and we kind of plug into their view of Christianity and kind of gives us some direction. But you know, it's time today that God's people, you and I, reclaim the word influencer. It's time we did it because Jesus tells us that we are to influence the world around it. He says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our world needs salt and light. Man, it's a just like eating green beans without salt. Ugh. You know, it adds that extra flavor. And we're called to influence the world in the same way. We're to be a light in the world because there are people out there wandering around in the dark who need someone and something to focus on so that they can get their lives in order. Kind of like me, one time as a kid, I was out fishing. And I went, was down at Center Point, and I walked a log across the lake, and as I went, hit the other side, the log collapsed in the middle, and there was no way back. And the older gentleman I fished with, we normally said, let's meet at the car at 11 o'clock. We'd fish the banks and fish after dark, and it got to be close to 11, and I thought, well, I can't go back the way I came. But I happen to remember, right where we parked the car, they had a dust-to-dawn light. And I could look over the spill banks. As I come up on top of one, I could see probably two-tenths of a mile away that light shining. And I'd go down and I'd fight my way through the briars and I'd come up on top of another one. And finally, hot and sweaty and prickled and picked and pinched, I made it back to the car. You know, there are people out here in our world they're looking for you and I to be the light to them to show their way out of the briar patches of life. Out of the predicaments they get in. And Jesus has called us to be salt and light, to season and guide people, to influence them in their way. The problem with the world's view, they start with a platform. We as Christians start with people. Investing our energy and our love and our encouragement in other folks. You know, all of us have a story about people that have walked through their lives. I wouldn't be here today if it hadn't been for a couple influencing my parents to attend First Christian Church in 1959 or 60. I wouldn't be up here today if I hadn't run into a converted barroom musician at Pizza King on North Walnut Street, Jim Hicks. God had gotten in his heart, and we got talking, and he says, Hey, would you be interested in playing music with us? So I jumped in, and I did it. I went, at that time, I was attending Berea Church, and Berea was filled with people who were oddballs from Brazil. Some of you might have fit in that character. There were people who were former drunks, and there were people who were womanizers, and God had done a work in their life, and the church was booming, and they all encouraged me about what God could do in their life. 
And they encourage me to go into ministry. You know, that's what encouragement is all about. You see, when we begin to influence those people outside this room, it changes the complete culture and makeup of God's church because it becomes a place of redeemed people whose Christ has changed their lives. When we are salt and when we're light, we become people of influence. You say, how do we do that? Sometimes influence, we're able to influence someone because they trust us. You know, like when you're at work and somebody says, hey, can I talk to you about something? Or one of the kids in the neighborhood or a friend, they're showing their trust in you. They're trusting you with something personal. I remember a few years ago, I was at the National Wild Turkey Federation. I have a friend who used to be, he's now retired. He used to be a biggie in the outdoor industry. And I was walking down the display hall and I heard someone call my name. And I looked back in the back corner and there sitting his typical cheeseburger. Said this individual, said, hey Mark, I want to talk to you. Come here. Pull up a chair and offers me a cheeseburger. You know, he's real sociable. Man's a millionaire. He says, we're going to build a new church. Said, we're going to spend $250,000. Now you have to understand, the church they were worshiping in was a white frame building with old hard wooden pews, and you could hear anybody walk on the floors, and the floors went like this. They were going to build a new church in this little town in Kentucky. He says, Mark, says we're going to build a new church. How much do you think my friend and my partner and I ought to give? Boy, this talked about catching off guard. I wasn't planning on talking about that. I was talking about how to shoot turkeys or something with him. And he asked me that question. I sat there for a few minutes to listen to more of his story. I said, let's go back to the answer. I looked at him. He developed a trust in me. I shared with him, don't give so much money that it takes faith away from the rest of the people in your church. And he took that answer to heart. You see, when we have trust of people, they ask us things of eternal significance in their life and in the life of others. You know, influence isn't always obvious. You probably think, oh, I never influence anybody. And, you know, I know as a pastor, I get a chance to be on the podium and talk to people. But a couple years ago, someone says, hey, you need to catch this PBS show out of Fort Wayne. So-and-so's on there. Well, they happened to be interviewing a young man who was in his mid-30s at that time who is a multimillionaire. If you watch TV, he, the guy who started Dope Clothing, basically an African-American clothing company, said, would you invest with me? And he was his first major investor, and it grew. And so we're listening to this young man tell his story about his life, and he says, Finally comes down and he says, who influenced you? And he began to talk about his grandma and grandpa. And they were great people. His parents are great people. And he says, but my pastor, Mark. And I thought, what's he doing naming me? All I did was treat him good and hunting fish with his grandpa and his dad and him. But he listed that there. I didn't even really think about being an influencer with him. And there's people that walk into our lives that we don't even think about influencing them, but our presence and our attitude and our actions have a tremendous impact on their life. 
Some people that you influence, you never see the harvest. One of the neatest things that happened a few years ago. In 2002, I had Phil Robertson, you know, Duck Dynasty Phil. Phil came to speak at my church. And it was great. We had a bunch of guys in the 18 to 30-year-old group come. A bunch of young guys that were into duck hunting. They just had a ball that day. About five years ago, which would have been 15 years after Phil had been there or more, I'm walking down the hall at Regional Hospital, and I hear somebody say, Hey, Mark Grayless. And I don't see him, and I look, and a nose piece around the corner. Hey, Mark Grayless. And I saw a young man there, and he walked up to, to me, and we stood and talked, and he says, You don't recognize me, do you? He said, I used to work at the wilderness shop in Terre Haute. And I looked, and I said, Yeah, he's matured into a fine young man. He says, I just want to tell you something. He says, I came in 2002 to hear Phil Robertson speak at your church. I came to hear somebody talk about duck hunting. But he shared his testimony that day about what Christ had done in his life. And it took a few years to soak in, but he says, my wife and I attend church. Our kids attend church. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it takes time sometimes for those investments to pay off. So when you invest in someone, you don't see that instantaneous response. Don't give up on it. Because you may have had an influence in their life that truly makes a difference. You have no idea how a word of encouragement, one conversation can make a difference in someone's life. Today, we're going to talk about one of those conversations. We're going to go to John chapter 4, that woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. It's probably one of the least likely influencers that you would pick in your community. It's one we think, let alone people in her community. She was that lady, you know, that the women whispered about and the men laughed about. But she became a tremendous influence in her community through faith in God. You see, Jesus was going through Samaria. You have Jerusalem down here in Judea. You have Samaria stacked on top of it. Jesus is going home to Galilee up here. And any good Jew that was going to Galilee would cross and go all the way around, take the long way around, rather than go through Samaria. Those people were half-breeds. They had intermarried with the pagans and were considered lower than dogs on the spiritual ladder. So it's kind of like us. If you want to go to the beef house, the easiest way to get there is to go right across 40 and hop on 63 and go right up 63 to the beef house up by Covington. Would be like, I want to go to the beef house, so I'm going to go over, I'm going to go to Brazil, I'm going to go north all the way to Rockville, then I'm going to go all the way to Rockville to Attica, then I'm going to go over and hit the beef house because I don't want to drive through Vermilion County, Indiana. That's where those people live. But Jesus didn't pay any attention to that. He took the straight way right through this dishonored land and this dishonored people. And he sat by down by a well in the middle of the day, and a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said, please give me a drink. The woman was surprised, for the Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. 
She said to Jesus, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. She goes on to say, I don't even have a bucket in the well's deep. How am I going to get you a drink? And Jesus says to her, Anyone who drinks of this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. Wow. And she says, I want that living water. Because every day she had to come to the well and get water. Then Jesus asked her a pretty pointed question. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband. The woman replied, Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. And for you, you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Here was this woman, even in the days of Hollywood movies, stars, would be considered a failure. Five times she'd been married. Five times. And she was living with a guy that she wasn't married to at that moment. But she was not just that immoral woman. She was a miracle waiting to happen. She was thirsty. Her life had been used and abused, and she was craving hope and attention. She was emotionally and spiritually bankrupt. If it was wrong, she had done it. <coughs> and continued to do it. Probably explains why she didn't come out in the morning like most women to draw water. She didn't want to put up with all the finger pointing and the whispers. <coughs> she didn't want to draw any attention to herself and her immoral lifestyle. She began to ask herself, why is this man speaking to me? Why is this man giving me value? Why is this man giving me hope? And she realized, this man must be a prophet. Verse 28 it says, a woman put her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village. <coughs> telling everyone, come see a man he told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? So people came streaming from the village to see him. Here was this messed up, hurting, bad reputation. And I know here in Brazil, this is a little town. You can remember those people with the bad reputation. And she comes back with a story of hope and encouragement. You don't have to have that perfect life to influence someone for Christ. 
You just have to have the story of what Christ has done in your heart and is doing in your life to transform you and change you. This woman shared her stories. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed four days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Who did God use as an influencer in Sychar, in Samaria, in that forbidden land? Did he use the person that had the most likes on their Facebook post? Or someone who has something that's been watched on YouTube 10,000 times. He used a woman whose name is not even recorded. A woman who was searching for love in all the wrong places. A woman who everybody knew her name in town. But he used her. And because of her, a change happened in that village. And it says, many believed. I want to ask you a question. How can we be a dynamic influence in Brazil, Indiana, or wherever you're from? How can we do that? How can you and I be an influencer that makes a difference in our church, makes a difference in our workplace, makes a difference in our friends, makes a difference in our world? First thing you need to do is see a person, not a project. It's so easy for us to look at all the negative things that are happening in someone's life and focus on that. But when we begin to look below the surface, we see ways that we can even encourage the most discouraged person who has continually made poor choices throughout their life. And that person becomes someone who trusts us. Someone who gives us their heart and gives us an opportunity to share Christ with. Second thing I want to encourage you to do is leverage your opportunities. Leverage your opportunities. What does that mean? Being an influencer. God did not put you where you work or where you live or where you play basketball, or where you attend school without a purpose in mind. He puts you there to be the salt and the light of the earth, to be that influencer. Shared a story during first service. We had a lot more senior citizens there. In my first ministry, I had a lady named Florence. Florence was the retired pastor's wife. He had retired in 1960, and she was still there in 1978 when I came. And very advanced in age, she was very independent. Finally, she had to go to the nursing home. And I let her have a few days to get adjusted. So I went to see her, and I went down the hall and walked in her room very quietly because I wanted to see how things were going. And I said, Florence, how are things going? She says, Mark, I just love it here. Wow, you don't expect to hear that? She says, you know what? Every day I go out and I have people I pray for here at the nursing home. She saw herself in her mid-80s as an influencer in an environment that most of us dread to even think about. 
but it changed her life. And I know it changed the lives of people around her that she prayed for and encouraged. Leverage your opportunities. I'll share a story from hunting days. One day I was out hunting and I heard a four-wheeler come barreling down across the field and this guy didn't look real happy. And so I laid my gun down and he goes, I thought you were on my place. Well, I wasn't. And we began to talk. I just killed him with kindness. He told me once, he said, I don't know why I didn't cuss you out like I do everybody else. But that was like this time of the year and a wild game dinner was coming up and I took him down a ticket to the men's wild game dinner. He came to the dinner whenever it was. The next Sunday, he showed up at church. First time he had been there, he was drinking an 18-pack of beer a day. His life was in shambles. And he's still there today. He's married. He's sober. And God's doing a work in his life. I leveraged that moment that made an eternal difference in his life and in his family. All of us have those times that come along, and I want to encourage you, leverage them. Because you don't know how one conversation, one word of encouragement, one expression of love, one handshake, one hug, makes you the most influential person to ever walk through that person's life in the name of Christ. Let's pray together.